Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Bo Yancey, Principal Consultant at BY Global. Bo, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Alay. Thank you for having me on here. It's great to be with you and, and uh, all your listeners. Thanks for being on the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast today. We're really excited to have someone of your caliber and expertise on the show. Bo has been working with law firms for the past two decades on their financials. And Bo, I know you've worked with larger clients, mid-sized firms, as well as smaller firms. Um, we're going to be talking about profit today. And for you attorney entrepreneurs, that is a, such an important point. It's net income, it's profit, it's what you take out of the firm as an owner. And Bo, let me just ask you this, you know, when you're working with law firms, how do they look at their books in terms of and what are the, what are their key drivers? Is it revenue? Is it profit? Or is it something else that they're looking at? Profitability as a concept has come a long way, but Still, many firms, especially when you get outside, say, the MLAW 200, they're looking at cash in the door at the end of the year. And there, there's nothing wrong with that because that is how the partners are paid ultimately. But when we think about profitability, there are many, many different ways of observing that. Really, it comes down to two things, right? When you talk about profit, it's about how do we grow the pie and how do we divide the pie? I spend a lot of time on each of those, but it's a much more interesting discussion to talk about how we grow the pie. Fantastic. And that's perfect for uh, our listeners, our attorney entrepreneurs who own their own firms. They're looking at growing the pie and they typically have you know, only a couple of partners uh, in the firm, maybe a few more. So for a firm like that, they're looking at a lot of things. They're looking at revenue. They're looking at net income or profit, and they're looking at expenses. And one of the things that gets in the way is they typically run a lot of owner expenses, things like car insurance and health insurance and whatnot, into the business. And so it, it kind of makes that net income number look really, really low. And oftentimes I, when I'm talking to a, a potential client, they're saying, you know, I'm not making enough profit in my law firm. And we go back through and there's a lot of expenses that are in there that are you know, not standard. They don't know that because it's all they've ever done. But how, you know, when you're working with a client, um, how do you work with them on looking at those owner expenses, which you know might not be standard? Yeah, so it's not that different than other businesses that are on the smaller side of things. When you go to an AMLAW 200 firm, or or even probably a firm 50 or 100 lawyers, you're not likely to see that. But with small businesses of any sort, those things you run into all the time. And parsing out those, what I'll call for, for today, personal expenses or quasi-personal expenses is very important to understand the key question, which is, where did we make money? How and where did we make money? And you can look at that, or you should look at that from a couple perspectives. If, if you have more than one practice, which practices did well, which clients did well. And then the next question, regardless of, of the answer is why? Why was this client more profitable? Why did this practice group produce more than another? And this is where we really jump into things where I think you bring a lot of expertise to the table because those questions, 
where are we making money, number one, and where should we focus on making more money, number two, are questions that I think a lot of law firm owners aren't necessarily equipped to answer. So you mentioned a couple awesome things about ways to look at where you make money. You can look at revenue by practice area, revenue by client. You can look at profits by those two as well. There's other ways to look at that. When you're talking about growing the pie, but what are some of the things that you look at with small law firms? What are some of those levers that you can pull? Sure. So there are three that I'll start with. The first is simply how much can you charge and how well do you pass whatever rate you're, you're, you're setting yourself at through to clients? So typically, and, and maybe most of your listeners know this, the term we're talking about here is realization. And most most firms, even even smaller firms, have a concept of a standard rate, and that and the 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 concept of realization is really what is the collected rate or the build rate to clients versus whatever that standard rate is. So that gives you a sense of how well you price and how well you maintain your pricing. That's huge. By the way, all firms should be raising their rates every single year. Period. Full stop. The other, the other, uh, the other major thing uh, is utilization, especially for firms that have fee earners who are not partners themselves. So associates, paralegals, or even even non-equity partners. Usually, those folks are are provided with a target number of billable hours per year, and measuring their actual billable hours versus that target billable hours is a great way to understand how productive you are and how well your resources uh, are being managed and deployed and whether you need more resources um, or not. So those are two of the those are two of the the real big drivers. The utilization thing gets a little more interesting when you talk about um, associates because those are the folks that where you really want to push work down and make sure they're fully, fully productive to the extent that they're capable of the work that is available because those are variable costs that are passed on to the client. But when they're not working up to what you're expecting them to, that variable cost becomes a fixed cost. That goes directly against the bottom line and not for the bottom line. Yeah, nothing nothing drags down profits faster than cost centers for sure. So attorney entrepreneurs, for those of you that aren't familiar with realization rate, basically if you have a lot of write-offs, your realization rate's going to be low. If you don't have a lot of write-offs and you're billing at your full rack rate, your realization rate's going to be high. And with utilization, we're talking about the percentage of time that a um a person is actually working on client work. Uh so things that, you know, if your if your utilization is low, it might be because they just don't have enough work to do, or it might be because more likely they're spending their time doing other things like meetings and committees and things like that that don't actually generate anything for the firm. So, Bo, what are a couple of rule of thumb ranges that you've run into that might work well for small law firms thinking about, you know, what's a good range for the realization rate and what's a good range for utilization? And I know those are really hard to answer. So if you have anything, that would be awesome. Oh, it, it's not that hard. Um, it is. It, it should be in the low to mid nineties. Absolutely, should be realization. In the low yes, and as rates go up, that gets harder to do, right? So if you're if you're raising your standard rate ten percent, you know, your regardless of whatever discounts you're affording to your clients, 
you should be letting them know that that negotiated rate is also going up 10%. And there may well be pushback uh, on that thing. But I stand by the statement that that realization rate should remain at least in the low 90s. And I'm talking about the collected realization. Because there are lots of ways along the along the path that there can be uh, dilution, right? You can negotiate. Um, you can have the client write something down, or you can choose to write it down yourself, or you can have the client just refuse to pay. Um, so lots, or or um, sometimes you might have time entries that are in in uh, outside of the outside council guidelines, and the bills just get rejected. Um, so lots of ways that realization can can experience a decline, but low 90s at a minimum, same with utilization. Now, the tricky part with utilization is if if your utilization gets too low, you can simply change the uh, target hours. And if you drop it down, your utilization automatically goes up. Just, <laughs> yeah, sure. And that actually is happening. Um, because, you know, on balance, the demand for legal services and the number of lawyers available to provide those services are pretty equal right now. There's not a lot of law firm leverage as a whole. In in parts, there absolutely is. Um, but in parts, there's also a lot of weakness. It's all practice-based and geography-based. Where are you seeing areas where... Um... I guess law firms are seeing stronger demand for their services. Well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll reverse your question. Real estate and tax have been weak recently. Everything else has um, seen at least modest growth uh, recently. Certainly litigation and corporate, um, some of the big drivers have, have, have gone up a little bit. Um, if you looked at a at a um, at a graph I I saw recently by Thomson Reuters, real estate and tax really declined uh, uh, in the last twelve months. Um, everything else had modest to to pretty decent growth. Interesting. Well, and then how do you look at that? Let's say there's a law firm that still has capacity, so they're you know they're, they're, they can still take on more clients. They want to make more income but they don't feel like they have the clients for that. And they're staring a rate increase in the face. To your, to your point, you, know, you should be raising rates every year. What do you say to those firms that are really hesitant to raise rates because they don't have enough clients coming in the door? Yeah, well, this is a hard, difficult management problem or, or can be at least because your options are, are sometimes maybe choosing the least bad one. And, and the options are, you know, I can cut heads which is never a great option. Um, I can raise rates, but know that my realization is going to drop. I can take some of those lower utilized um, uh, fee earners, usually associates, and put them on internal projects, um, which, which, which certainly have value, but, not, but are not the reason those, those people are there um, and employed by you. Um, and... Probably the best option, if you can execute on it, is business development, going out and figuring out ways to generate that work. And there's two ways to do that. The easier of the two, the least expensive of the two, is to grow your existing clients, to figure out ways where you can cross-sell, to expand your, your business with the clients that you have, 
And the way to do that is to know your clients very well, um, to be trusted advisors, to be proactive, to know the questions, not that they're asking, but that they should be asking. Um, and, and the other is is marketing and branding and just getting out there and making sure you're known as a provider of something special. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you will find, by the way, if you do raise your rates, uh, assuming they're not totally out of whack, which we're going to get to here in a moment, um, you'll find that if you raise your rates, oftentimes the clients that are just a pain in your neck will, will tap out because they're going to go find somebody else. And it gives you more opportunity to work with clients whom you really enjoy and whom you whom you do your best work for, which is you know, what we want to be doing as um, as professional service providers. Um, but how does one go about figuring out if their rate is too high or too low, or you know that whole thing? Well, there are many many sources of of information out there. Um, I don't know if I ought to plug any of them specifically, but there are pieces of software that can be subscribed to. There are surveys. Um, there are informal conversations that happen in specific geographies, which is likely as useful as anything else. You, you need to be careful of things like antitrust, especially if you're talking very specifically about rates. Um, you, you don't want to you don't want to get yourself in trouble. But knowing um, knowing those sources and, um, and and as I said, they are they are participant surveys as well as actual software that can be subscribed to. Uh, there, there are plentiful sources out there. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to be kind of scrappy about it, as Bo mentioned, informal conversations with colleagues um, are a great way to go. The other way to go is to hire um, a temp. Um, and give them a script and have them call the competition and ask them what the rates are. You'd be amazed at how many will just give the rate right out over the phone on that initial call. It's it's, it's really surprising how that goes. Um, <clears throat> so, Bo, um, tell us a little bit about the full scope of services that you provide with law firms and how you help them increase profits. Sure. So, so one of the things that I that I do a lot of is just designing profitability models, which is not as simple or or one size fits all as as you might think. Uh, I look at and design models from the basis of either the dollar collected, the bill delivered, or my favorite, the hour worked, because that is where the revenue and expenses are matched up, and you can most easily see where profitability uh, lives at a client level. At the end of the day, law firms are are really just big groupings of two things groups of matters and groups of attorney or groups of timekeepers that's all they are and assigning all and and analyzing all these metrics by those two things are what profitability models should do um along with that we look at applications of profitability like pricing and not just where our rates are but fixed fees where is a fixed fee appropriate? How would one think about pricing something like that? A fixed fee engagement is really the business model of law firms turned upside down. Um, people don't think about that so much, but it's true because for every hour you work on a fixed fee, your profitability declines, doesn't grow up, uh, go up. Um, That's right. One of the things I love about fixed fee models is uh, now a law firm is running like 
most other businesses on the planet, which then, you know, their job is to provide that service with quality, of course, at the lowest possible cost. Incentives are aligned. That's right. Uh, in a fee model, and it's a great thing. What's not great about it is that a lot of law firms don't know how to do it. And the first time they do it, they're not going to be as profitable as if they hadn't done it. And so it takes time, it takes analysis, it takes patience. Um, and it does take selecting the right kind of matter um, to, to, to try it out on. Some just aren't appropriate, at least as a, as a starting point. Right. Going in, going into a long, drawn-out negotiation with no end in sight is not generally where you want to start with your fixed-fee approaches. No. <laughs> no. the toughest ones you can crack. <laughs> That's right. Oh, very cool. And um, Bo, tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, with these profitability models uh, and fixed-fee, sometimes the attorneys that do lots of fixed-fee work may be challenged with tracking their hours because they're not billing by the hour. They might say to themselves, well... I'm not billing by the hour. I don't need to track my hours. And yes, attorney entrepreneurs who happen to be estate planners, I'm talking to you. Um, Bo, you know, when you've dealt with that with clients, how have you typically handled that situation? You have to have a basis on which to measure anything. And so for those folks who are not tracking their hours, you could get an approximation, but it's not going to be something you could hang your hat on. It's not going to be something you can take and use the next time. Um, you know, we work with lawyers a lot and we and 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 they're not completely wrong when they say this, but we we hear a lot, you know, every matter's different. Okay. There are parts of every matter that are different, agreed, but there are many similarities depending on the area of law from matter to matter. And um it, that's where the basis of any fixed fee analysis begins, and is the similarities. Uh, not the differences, but without a basis to understand your effort, because lawyers sell time, right? Um, you're not going to progress too far. Yeah. And if you're not tracking your time and you're doing flat fee matters, just understand this. It's going to be very hard to run your business very well without knowing your costs. And that's right. That's what you're talking about when you're talking about your time. So, Bo, um, you have got a lot going on in your consulting and coaching business with law firms. What are some things you're excited about in your business over the next year or so? Well, there's, in addition to profitability, and I think the outlook for 2024 is, you know, a little bit of a mixed bag, but there's a lot of optimism. Firms are looking to raise rates a lot. Um, you know, six to ten percent is what most firms are 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 seeing. Um, we'll see if demand for legal services will will keep up with that. But if it does, then profits will rise. There's a couple questions out there that I'm hearing a lot. Uh, the first is on how to resolve the post-COVID work from home versus work from the office uh, dilemma. I suppose. And there's no right answer about that. It is it is a cultural um, situation by situation kind of thing, depending on lots of factors. But that's something I'm thinking about a lot. Uh, the other is, is technology, specifically AI, and how that can be used, how that should not be used. Um, I am not concerned or thinking about that being a big factor on 2024 in, in really any way in terms of production or the, the demand for, for lawyers. But but long-term, absolutely, it's something to pay attention to and, and begin to try to understand. Awesome. 
those are really, really cool ideas. And uh, there's a lot, a lot to dig into there. But if someone wants to reach out to you and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, my email address is bancey, Y-A-N-C-E-Y, at focalpointcoaching.com. My name is Bo Yancey, Y-A-N-C-E-Y. I can be found uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, and I would love to hear from anyone who has questions or, or, or interest about what Elaine and I discussed today. Fantastic, Bo. Always great chatting with you. Thank you so much for being on Lawyer Business Advantage today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember, you can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice.